I was wise enough to fall in love, I would fall in love with you. It doesn't matter if you break my heart, I'll know that it was true. Oh, and everyone around me is telling stories that I can't trust. I don't know why, but when I fly with you, I feel like we've gone too late. Give me a reason for chalking it up to fate. Podcast. <laughs> my name's Roger Hathers. With me, as always, is my bloody old coaster. He's called Declan Kitchenost. <laughs> Derailed in literally two seconds. Yeah, I see it's still casual, though, because I've got my leg here. <laughs> yeah, I've got my leg across here, which means I absolutely cannot, uh, you know, perform at all, which means, yeah, casual. Casual as fuck. <sighs> Jazz. Um, oh, no, 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 don't do that, because I'll die. <laughs> I'll die of an early death. I hold the power of life and death over you. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Music, I made some. Music, you made some. <laughs> Thank you. This has been the end of this special episode. Uh, no, you've just released uh, Grim, which is a collection of eight acoustic-based songs on uh, Bandcamp and on streaming services and all of that. Uh, why is it acoustic-based? Why is it acoustic-based? I guess because a lot of the songs came out of like doing the podcast really i mean that's sort of like my main you know go-to for writing these days i'll write outside of the podcast hence why some of the songs on the album were like non-weekly songs i mean chalking it up to fate isn't a weekly song is it no neither is you can give me everything supposed to be it hurts me to waste a woman's love i'm driving far away alone where i can finally make the choices Basically, most of the songs, in fact all of the songs, were either started on guitar or piano, meaning that by their nature, just like the DNA of the songs is acoustic guitar chords or piano chords, and while you can develop those up into like full band arrangements, a lot of these songs are like, like for example, like when I'm, when I'm writing for just like a year, there's some things that I write are a bit heavier, which I'll go, okay, those are more pea green boat, or some things would be like really soft, which go into a more acoustic project, and there's some things are kind of odds and ends which tend to go on a winter tape. Um, so this is kind of like the acoustic end of that spectrum. That's so fair. So I guess that's kind of why. That's fair. Um, I mean, we do say acoustic... There's a review you have recently where the quote was, um, although this is being sold as acoustic music, there's like vocal harmonies, there's a million guest stars, it's still like a like <laughs> big production number, it's just acoustic for what you would normally do. It's just the most appropriate label I could think to put on it. But like, I mean, there's there's electric guitars all over the thing as well. They're not like power chord electric guitars but they're an electric guitar plugged into an amp playing lead lines there's acoustic guitars playing into uh amps uh playing lead lines as well is that you were your parts acoustic guitars acoustic guitar through a phaser through an electric guitar amp sounds dangerous <laughs> sounds it like was. it might slow up <laughs> <laughs> It's a different sound. So that's how you got that sound then? Yeah. That's why it's kind of like a bit more That's why it's, got, it's got no sustain on it. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I felt I felt like that really suited the song because um, one of the songs you played on was called Reverie, and um, like I'd already put an, an electric guitar part on, which was a bit more sort of like warm and round of a sound, um, kind of like playing along with what the bass part was playing, and then your parts were just much more sort of like up the neck. I yeah, think. it's basically what I was playing was basically the top half of what you would normally play. Right. So uh, it ends up being. ends up being a mixture of what you've actually done on guitar and then your vocal line as well but I just thought if I'm I, I can't really add a lot to this so I'll just put the phaser on so you've got a squishy texture to sort of like yeah. mix in as you see fit and then it's sort of going along with the rest of it yeah I like the parts you gave for that one I mean that's the cool thing is like I was just watching you play that then it's like I wrote the song in like a detuned fashion and like I had certain chord shapes that I that I tend to use quite a lot whereas when you hear a song and you're playing on a standard tuned guitar you're going to play different shapes just by by default because of that but also um you'll you'll use different chord shapes um in order to get patterns that I would never have thought of that's what I like about collaborating with people it's like you never would have thought of those parts were it not for somebody else you've got quite a few uh, collaborators on this project uh, I'm on two songs I think Joe Neal's on there uh, yeah Ruben's on there Ruben Marina uh George Pilgrim's on there I think George Pilgrim's on only reverie. I was trying to get him on more things, but um, I think time kind of got in the way of that. But yeah, so we've got a few people on there. Anyone else I've missed off? No, I think you got everyone. It's you, Ruben, Joe, George, and me. And notably not Hitty Sticks this time. Yeah, poor old Hitty Sticks <laughs> waiting outside the studio in the rain. <laughs> yeah, he not, said he cool. <laughs> not a single drum on this. Um, and they, like usually like if I kind of like choose to do something acoustic eventually there's always a thought in my head of oh maybe i could add drums to this and make it a more full song but there was never a thought for any of these songs that they could be had drums added to them apart from the exception of um chalk it up to fate because there's another version of that which exists which i recorded which is a full band version it has drums bass guitar and vocals loads of harmonies and everything it's like a proper band song but that's that going... version will be on a winter tape eight ladies and gentlemen well that that version is going to be on um a collaborative album i'm doing Oh, right. Is this the thing you're doing with uh, George? With George, yeah. That's right. Ah. Um, which is all sort of in early stages and everything. But um, yeah, so there's kind of another version of that on that album. But other than that, you know, no Hitty. Yeah. Poor old Hitty. Well, I suppose you're going to do like uh, more upbeat projects in future. So, you know, you will be going back to him. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, he's a fantastic drummer. You don't waste a resource like that. No, exactly. He's, he's fantastic. But yeah, no drums. No drums is cool because it makes things so much easier to mix. I mean, I when I was younger, my my friend, his stepdad, said that half of a mix, you know, like a record, is is drums. Half of the sound you're hearing, half of the volume you're hearing is drums. Whether that's true or not, scientifically or like on average, I don't know. It probably isn't. But it definitely feels that way when you're mixing. So, like, if you don't have drums to contend with, we're getting the kick. Because the kick drum is such a huge part of the frequency spectrum when you're mixing. Well, it's, uh, you know, the drums kit is something you really centre the mix around. It's why in most modern mixes the kit is, like, centre. Yeah. So everything else can sort of expand out from around it. Definitely. Which, um, I suppose if you don't have that in the way, you can sort of get, like, 
more variants and textures and everything. Like uh, there's some beautiful uh, textures on this album. Like uh, I do love like, for example, Magic Happens, where like nice. every time the riff starts, like you get this sort of deeper resonance coming back in, like the boom. Almost thinks yeah. it, almost uh, tricks your mind into thinking there might be an orchestra coming in or something. Well, yeah, that's the one track with um, with um, air quote strings on it. Um, they're just sample based strings, hence why they're not quite as prominent in the track. Um, the original plan was um, to record um, the full album, uh, you know, just acoustic guitar vocals, give the vo- you know the tracks to you and to George and Joe and Ruben and all these people, and then once I finally mixed the album, give it over to um, my friend Pedro or Miguel, um, both of whom um, are string arrangers and have access to quartets. Uh, they both worked on Next Week in Munster, didn't they? That's right, on, on various tracks on that. And, and the results were, like, stunning. It's such a, such a thrilling thing to, like, send off your little songs, you know, across the sea, and then when they come back, they got these beautiful string arrangements on them. And that was the plan, but I just couldn't afford it. Ah. It wouldn't have even been that much. It's just that because everything... I tried to keep everything so on a budget with this album... Um, I think all told, you know, apart from like the, I guess you could say the time it took, which I could have been working on stuff that would have got me money. Um, I think the artwork was 40 quid done by this fantastic artist called Trippia. Um, and that's it, you know? It is quite cool artwork. Um, didn't you say it's sort of half inspired by Terry Pratchett? Uh, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. That, it went into it, but it's not that... It's not literally that deaf, but like that. No, it's kind of. But yeah, that, that that's like listening to that audio book and like just having that Grim Reaper image floating around. Hey, for anyone who doesn't know what it looks like, it's um the artwork. It's the Grim Reaper with his feet up, um in an armchair, having fallen asleep with a cigarette and a holder, and the moon is shining outside. That's the artwork. Um, and just grim and big friendly letters on the cover. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I I definitely remember listening to. Um, the audiobook for Mort by oh, Terry Pratchett. Mort is a great book. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. And just thinking about the character of death and for, for such a dark character, it's quite like a, I'm not, I don't want to say funny, but it's like, it's not like a dark betrayal of this horrible thing. It, it's it's like, a reasonable betrayal, I think. Like, uh, it, it's a, like, what's this line? There is no vengeance, there's only me. Like, mm. There's no cruelty in death. That's just cruelty of humans. Yeah, is is yeah, he's quite a neutral force in the book, but but he's I, got some he's got some great lines. Sorry, this is diverging into something else, but I just love that line, like where he's looking on the globe and it's just like, ah, oh, there's going to be a, a shipwreck here, very famous. Have you heard of it? Uh, no, uh, it's the Caspian Sea, or at least it will be if I can find the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's a funny character in the book, but more than more than the Grim Reaper that you see on the album cover being that it's it you know he's not death from the books it's kind of hard to describe because in in that review that you mentioned before the guy said 
um, it's weird that there's, or misrepresentative that there's, you know, the Grim Reaper, and it looks like a, especially because it's released on Halloween officially, the album. Mm. It, and it's thought, quite a acoustic, laid back, upbeat album. Yeah, the two are kind of, um, you know, at odds with each other in a sense. But I, I was kind of thinking the other day about like, you know how like, the, the I don't know, with artwork sometimes it can seem very different from the music, especially like when I'm writing the songs and I come up with the artwork idea. Um, not that I painted this, but I came up with like the concept for it. And it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, oh, that's a cool image. Like, that's all I'm thinking. It's a cool aesthetic image. It's like a design. It's something to have on the front cover. Well, not necessarily every album image ever created. Like, it's a direct literal representation of, uh, of you know, what's in the music. For example, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, that hasn't really got anything to do with the music, but it's just become such a strong image connected to that cover. Uh, it's connected to that music. Yeah, exactly. But the weird thing is, like, so I'm thinking along those lines, you know, just like, it's a cool thing to have on the front cover. I like, I'm a big fan of visual arts. I, I follow a lot of visual artists and it's it's something that I'm not particularly great at myself, but I, I, I'm really interested in in a very different way to music. But the, the thing is, now it's out, it's almost like, this is kind of corny sounding, it's almost like my subconscious was at work in a way, because to me now the artwork represents what the songs are about. Um, in a, in a weird sort of a way, it's like the the songs because the the guy in the review said like they're all love songs and they all kind of are, but they're most of them are love songs which if you listen to the lyrics it's like not being able to quite reach love like being in isolation when love is outside of you songs about love rather than songs about being in love exactly yeah that's it like you know um if I was wise enough to be with you you know that sort of thing and like. Uh, you could give me everything if I could lie with you. You know, there's all these songs that are like, if I could only get that. So like with the death thing, it's almost like he should be out there reaping some souls. But, you know, he's, he's asleep he's in his armchair. Listening to your songs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? He's like... I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, he's he's not doing what he should be doing. Um, but it's weird uh, that I didn't... That wasn't like a plan. It's just that now that it's finished, I go, I kind of... Maybe I'm just trying to, like, join the dots. I mean, maybe we do that a bit, but it does seem like that way. Well, it's kind of cool to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I mean, it's just a nice cover. I think it's very nicely painted. Well, who was the artist again? Uh, Trippia, one word. T-R-I-F-I-A. Ah, okay. And, And, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's there for anyone who wants to Google that. Uh, What? Sorry, excuse me. What influenced the choice of what was going on this uh, record? Because it's mostly weekly songs, but there are one or two exceptions. Um, it's basically like, um, with the exception of Untitled Number 2, which is a weekly song, but it's an older weekly song from like 2016, um, they're all just my favourite songs that I've written over the past like year, year and a bit, um, which happen to fall in the acoustic category. Um, there are other songs which I've written in that time, which I've produced in a more band-orientated way, um, which aren't on the album because they just wouldn't fit. So this is just kind of like, it's just a big grim bag to throw my acoustic song- <laughs> songs into. Um, and, you know, luckily they have some kind of lyrical through line. Um, but they, they, that wasn't like a prerequisite to them being on the album. It's just that they so happen to have a through line. It's always nice when that happens, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Untitled Number 2 there. That's a song I've been bugging you to sort of get recorded for ages. I mean, <laughs> yeah. may as well have a little clip of it now. In the middle of the 
But uh, it's it's one of my favourites of yours, and I'm Thanks. just I'm happy to see it getting some sort of official release. Yeah, that was that is on the album as a result of you mentioning it so much. Well, I think this is kind of we mentioned this in the last uh, actual episode of the podcast, but at some point you did ask me like, what are your favourite songs that I've never recorded properly? And I sent you this big long list, and Untitled Number Two was on there. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's one that I. I was almost reluctant to put it on because it's like a little bit like, it's quite preppy and happy. I I like that though. I notice you have um, taken it down a little bit though. How do you mean? In terms of you... oh, like the pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, just just for ease of singing, you know, I I tend to kind of like detune the guitar just to kind of get it within my little comfort zone vocally. You well, know. The... This is kind of like more from the era of things like 144p where it opens with they're magic like but that but an octave up like right proper Kate Bush Prince singing <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the night that was like the original demo like really fal- falsetto vocals which you can hear on uh, one of the weekly songs uh, albums that you've got on Bandcamp I think it's 15 to 28 but I could be wrong I think that's correct because that's the start of uh, us doing the episodes I remember that being quite an early one yeah. Um, but yeah, it was kind of cool to like revisit an old song. Um, we've spoken about this before, but like when you look back at your old writing, sometimes it's like a bit of a cringe fest, but like sometimes you stumble across one, you go, Hey, wait a second. This is actually pretty good. And that's kind of the experience I had with Untitled Number 2 when I actually properly revisited it again. I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is kind of, it's interesting. Like you're having this reaction now because like, uh, literally the other day, um, when, you and me and uh, Joe and Josh and everyone were all together. We were all just going like, oh, yeah, we love that song. You've never recorded it. And we love this song and you've never <laughs> recorded it. Like, literally, I could put together an album's worth of songs that you've made, week- weekly songs that you've made, but you've never actually fully produced. Like, uh, so there is still more to go, Roger. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's kind of the oldest one on here, which is kind of cool. Um I'm thinking, what's other than that? What's the most? What's the oldest song? Uh, of the most recent runs. Of the most recent, the oldest song. Ah, oh, do, 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 do. Just as a point of curiosity, more than anything else. I think I'm just looking through here. Homing beacons, relatively old. Would it be all along? Uh, yeah, either homing beacon or all along. Yeah, um, I can't remember whether I wrote all along or reverie first, um, because they are. If you play one after the other, they're so similar. I mean, in, just in the intro, I mean. I mean. They are pretty much as far apart on the album as you can have them. Like, uh, there's Reverie at the start and there's All Along the Penultimate Song. That was totally on purpose. <laughs> if I was to sequence it where you could skip tracks and you could go from Reverie to All Along, you'd just go, hang on a second, yeah. <laughs> this is so similar. Well, it's kind of one of the things when you sort of have a bit of a style, you end up creating things that can sound similar, but you they go off in different places and very quickly they diverge, but it's just those first few seconds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'd um, and the fact that they use um, they both use the diminished two as their second chord in the progression, and they both got that kind of like do 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 arpeggiated finger plucked thing going on. Um, so, but all along does go off to this lovely place for the chorus, like do 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 always. Like it sort of builds up really nicely to sort of a. 
thanks. Your resting point. That was one where, like, I really like using um, when I can. It's not always you can, you know, shove this into a song, but using, like, a, say you're playing in C, for example, um, which is what the chorus is in. Well, it's not actually in C, because I detuned, but... To C shapes. C shapes, yeah. To use a C major 7 um, as sort of your one chord um, creates this really, like, lush... Um, soundscape, you know, you can do a lot with major seven chords because they have this sort of like semi-tropical loose feel. I didn't know about forever until I entered it with you, you, you. I take a moment to remember that we're rich young people waiting for the main event. I thank my stars you're heaven sent to me always well in the last season i ended up having quite a few songs that started out around e major seven so it's like a it is a chord that sort of you're happy to rest on but you do want to be going somewhere eventually and yeah. it's a chord that invites you to sort of like move if that makes sense yeah i mean the chorus to all along is an example of using uh, a major seven, so using C major seven shape, going down to A minor seven. Mm. So like rather than going C to A minor, which is you know one to six, um, which gives you quite a conventional feel. Using those different subs and stuff kind of gives you a much more different feel. Yeah. Yeah, there's a slightly different tonality to that. Especially like sort of lyrically, because it kind of gets to this point where it's like. You know, the general theme of it is I want to be with you always, which is quite a pop music trope. But to have that over sort of like these sort of more loose, hairy chords, kind of like, I thought, you know, reflected the lyrics a little bit better. That's pretty cool. Uh, there are two songs on here that you said that aren't weekly songs, and I don't think that have been discussed in uh, uh, the podcast, which were You yeah. Can Give Me Everything and Chalk It Up to Fate. Did you want to have a quick talk about either of those? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll play a couple of chords actually from them real quick, um, just to kind of like give some context. So I'm in D standard as I quite often am. I will be probably be playing in clips as well. Yeah, true actually. Um, but uh, just as sort of like an aid to think with really. But um, you could give me everything. Um, starts kind of weird because it starts. It's kind of one of those weird ambiguous chord progressions where you don't know quite what key you're in until you kind of get to the verse, which is in an E shape. You know, has it been a little while? Do you see a little time emerging? But the intro, I always feel, is in a D shape um, root. So, ah. Uh. You could give me everything if I could lie with you. It's almost like it modulates uh, immediately into being into E. Yes, exactly. But it's one of those ones where I don't quite understand what's going on, but the fact that it starts in D was just the natural way to write it, really. Um, and then Chalk It Up To Fate is a lot more sort of like a straightforward... It's one of those ones I get the end of the chorus stuck in my head like so often. Just give me a reason for chalking it up to fate. <laughs> a lovely song. Thank you. It's, it's just very sort of like, you know, classic, my attempt at classic pop music. You know, sort of that. I'm a big Beatles fan. I don't know if that's ever been mentioned. Yeah, it's not as if that's in the description for the podcast at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was just kind of a fun one to write. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I suppose it's worth mentioning, like, 
lyrically, when I was writing this album, a lot of what came up, especially listening back to it now, like, you know, with hindsight being 2020 and looking at what the lyrics seem to be about, not only is it about sort of like being outside of love, but wanting to be in love, it seems to be like, uh, it seems that I had a lot of crushes over the course of writing these songs. <laughs> and like, you know, Chalked Up to Fate is, is the most glaring example of like, I'd really like to be with this person, but... I'm afraid or like I've got my barriers up or, or they don't want to be with me or, you know, there's always some kind of obstacle in these songs. It's always funny when you look over your old songs and you sort of think about your like romantic interests at the time and everything. Like, I know there's one or two points on the podcast where like, you know, my songs become like uh, surrounded by like people, uh, you know, uh, whether, you know, that's romantic involvement or whether that's things that have actually like negatively happened in life or things like that. It's you know, records are exactly that. They're a record of a moment in time. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, yeah, it is interesting. Like how, at a certain time, if depending on who's around you, what you'll write. Um, you know, um, if you're going through a frustrating time with somebody, you'll probably write some quite frustrated songs. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. I, that's that's something that I always think about. Is like I love the format of love songs. As, mm. as a lyrical thing. I think there's a reason why a lot of the classics of history are love songs. And it's almost like as a songwriter, in some kind of scientific way of me trying to figure out what makes a good song, I tend to go towards love songs, not even if I'm not in love. So that's kind of like where all that comes from, I guess, in a way. Well, love songs, like, there's a load of, like, degrees of, like, what kind of love song are you writing? Are you writing, like, a sexual song, like a prince song? Are you writing, yeah. like, a romantic song? Are you writing like a I'm not in love kind of thing where like you you're denying your feelings or you know mm. uh, love is one of the strongest human emotions and it's only natural really that writers over the years have like mined how many different ways there are to say I love you or you know do you love me Yeah, true. Even things like Will you still love me tomorrow? Like uh, mm. you know, it's a very different way of saying do you love me? Like because I love you. Yeah, I mean, th- to me, those are the smartest and coolest songs in general lyrically are like will you still love me tomorrow is a fantastic it's not like overly complicated or like you know it's something fairly simple as um please mr postman it's a it's yeah. a love song about you know a couple but it's written to the postman who is the messenger like what or an like, amazing way to do like, lyrics or like she loves you where it's like um no dude you need to short, sort your shit out because she loves you and you hurt her so you need to go and apologize and make it up and everything yeah like, when I'm kind of, like, doing the thing of, like, playing my guitar and trying to write lyrics, especially for weekly songs because there's the time limit, and, like, I I always tend to go to, towards love lyrics just by proxy. Um, and so even if I'm writing about I love you to, you know, in a sort of one-to-one sort of thing, mm. like, I think it was Kurt Cobain who said, like, just because I say I in a song doesn't mean I'm talking about myself. And it's like, I have that same sort of thought process with like, sometimes I'll talk about something like, I don't know, universal love or or spiritual love, but I'll talk about it as if it's like a relationship. Well, it's interesting. Like, um, I think there have been definite songs in my past where like I've started writing songs to or about friends. Yeah. And they've ended up as love songs. And, yeah. I, you know, it's not that I've, you know, fallen deeply romantically in love with any of my friends. It's just like, that's kind of the way songs end up sounding. Yeah. It's it's an interesting lens to view things through. 
Although I do think it's kind of odd that like you've got this theme and then the last few words of um, Bring Me On The Light tie really well. Yeah, I know, that. right? Like That is not intentional, but yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's no way that can be intentional because I wrote you the wrote words the lyrics. to it. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that, and I can say I love it because it's completely unintentional. The song, start, song starts with Reverie, where basically whoever I'm talking to is just looking at me and I'm just drifting off, un, unreachable, unavailable to to be intimate with and then by the last song the very few last lines you know are talking about how i hope i haven't lost you through all this you know mm. and that happens with the last song on the album so it's like completely unintentional and you wrote the bloody lyrics yeah I was but gonna like say, there's no way i could have known what you were planning with this somehow there's a through line which i it is not the first time this has happened there's been other times where you know, you you write a song and you know, that sort of thing, and then you kind of like do the sequencing months later, just kind of just trying to pick like you know sonically what's the best thing to where should I put this track two track three, and then you listen to it when it's done and you go Jesus, this actually makes like thematic sense and it was yeah, completely it's not, unintentional. It's maybe not like a li- uh, a lyrical story, but it does have an emotional journey. Yeah, it's like I I this fascinates me like how much of writing music and putting together music or paintings or making a film is subconscious and influenced hmm. by you know the litany of things we we see and experience in our lives that isn't conscious i mean i think probably quite a lot and i think that's sort of like the songwriting thing of where does where do all the ideas come from and i think it's it's conceited to say that the majority of the ideas that an artist has comes from them and their <laughs> infinite wisdom i think it comes from somewhere not some kind of woolly concept, but just like the subconscious, I think, is a much more powerful tool than we give credit for. Well, kind of, I always think that the best like lyrical songs come from unique reactions to outside stimuli. This is kind of, for example, uh, why I like quite a lot of Frank Turner's lyrics in his music, uh, is just because it's things that you don't really hear anyone else saying. Yeah. It's like his unique point of view. This is what I love about some of your best lyrics, is just like... Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's just kind of your very unique view on the world. like, And that can be provoked through outside stimulus, whether that be a relationship or a major event or even like something as simple as walking down the pier or something or, you know, walking by the sea and like having uh, an emotional realisation. But you don't necessarily... You will have your own way of saying it. And everyone has their own way of saying it, but the best people for lyrics tend to have like a unique way of saying it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it always makes me think of that thing that, like, just from a musical perspective, there are only 12 notes to an octave, one of which is the tonic anyway, and Miles Davis used those notes completely different from Stevie Wonder, completely different from John Bryan, from Elliot Smith, from Frank Turner, from The Beatles. 12 notes, you know? It's like, and it's almost like that kind of boils down to your job as somebody who writes songs is just to tell people how you see those notes and, mm. and, you know, how you interpret things. I mean, we've spoken before about how lyrics aren't really, like, like the, the reason we write songs. It's not at the forefront of our minds normally. Yeah. Um, but, but then, I suppose, lyrically, that falls into it too. Like, especially, like, if you have weirder thoughts and you have, like, thoughts that you, if you brought up in conversation, it would be, like, a bit sort of... This is kind of why I'm a bit funny about talking about this stuff on the podcast, because I don't like saying about the subconscious and the, the different ways of writing love lyrics, because it's a bit, it sounds pretentious, 
you know. We do a songwriting podcast. This is like peak pretentious. Like, I know, feel, but I feel don't, free, but <laughs> I, I don't. I it it. I suppose like one of the reasons I like making music basically is because I have all these thoughts and they'll never turn off. I don't think so. Music is a good way to articulate them in a way that's actually like enjoyable to listen to. Hopefully, you know. Yes. It's uh, it's kind of a good vessel for um. De- I always think oh, it's a nice vessel for decluttering your mind. Yes, yeah, I agree. Like uh, we've we've spoken before about like maybe negative emotions, uh, like inspiring songs, but then at the end of it, feeling like cathartic, and like you've like just released a great tension, or you've like loosened a great tension. As it's uh, it's weird how that can sort of sometimes feed into like a like a larger project like an album, particularly if they're not like consciously written with that in mind. Yeah, I I also think that like in our culture, particularly Western culture, um, and it's quite a British thing as well. We don't tend to like casually just chat about spiritual revelations or this, you know, the subconscious or just weird abstracted thoughts we have. Um, you but, need to be several pints in before that becomes even remotely acceptable. <laughs> yeah, and like, but and so I suppose that's kind of why I have this preconception like, oh, I don't want to be, don't want to be pretentious. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be perceived, perceived this way. But most people I know, when you get to talk to them a little bit, especially after a few drinks, you know, have these thoughts. So why not find some way to express them? And maybe a podcast isn't the best place for that. But, um, you know, maybe... But make, Grim make an... is, and you can buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear me. But, uh, yeah, this is a very nice collection of songs. I really do quite enjoy it. A lot. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's um, it's available everywhere. Um, uh, it's available yeah. on your band camp for, I think, you said a fiver, didn't you? A fiver, yeah. Five English, British, royal pounds it's available for. Five imperial credits of the realm. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, but, like, buying someone's music when a lot of people use Spotify is kind of like an act of charity. And you get to own the record, but, you know... It, it's kind of a show of support these days more than anything else. Mm. Um, so I suppose, like, if anyone hears the music and like, oh, I fancy supporting this music, this album, uh, I think buying not just mine, but anyone's record is kind of, you know, it's, it's a cool thing to do. Well, most artists earn barely anything from streaming. There's a great interview with, um, I think, uh, James Vecchalotti from Death of Vana, where he goes like, yeah, streaming is killing us. Like, we earn so much fewer, like a much lower percentage of money from someone streaming an album to someone like actually buying it. Yeah. Whether that be via download or, you know, on vinyl or on C D. So it's always just a nice thing to do if you can support uh, you know, your favourite artist by like buying CDs, vinyl, downloads, uh merch, things like that. Just be nice people. Pay kindness forward. Be good. Yeah, exactly. I kinda of think that too. But while you're on Rogers Bandcamp do check out uh, some of his other projects. I said this last episode as well, but um, like he's got some great albums on there, like uh, you know, Next Week in Munster, uh, To Your Heart's Content. He's got the Winter Tape projects, which tend to be um, like compilations of odds and ends that he's got throughout the year, which are really good. Uh, there's original demos for the weekly songs. I think it's up to 52, isn't it? It's something like that. It's up in at least the 40s. Four, hang on, 14, 28... Uh, oh, I used to be good at maths. Forty-two. 
42. Yeah, and there's more which I haven't released, but that's a whole different kettle of hammers. You need to do that one day. Jesus, yeah. Um, and some great EPs. I really recommend Northcroft, if you've uh, never been on his band camp. Do check that one out. Oh, but, thank you. But after checking out Grimm. Oh, thanks. Isn't he lovely, folks? Isn't he just a, such a good friend? I've, I think I've said before, I'm your biggest fan. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Ooh, one thing, I was going to start mentioning Pea Green Boat. Um, oh, yeah. Sort of, how do you sort of select what songs are going to be used for your projects as opposed to, like, you've said, for example, uh, Chalk It Up To Fate is going on your project with George. Yeah. Uh, so what sort of prevents, or sort of what, directs these songs to not being parts of Pea Green Boat songs or anything like that or um that's a good question um firstly like with Chalk It Up To Fate I could hear that that could maybe be a rock song and so I have this project which is going to be a rock project in the future so I was like I'll put that there but I also like it as acoustic so that that kind of explains Chalk It Up To Fate with Pea Green Boat um I, I kind of misspoke earlier when I said that I categorize things into acoustic, pea green boat, rock, and that sort of thing. Pea green boat is written specifically, like I sit down to write pea green boat music because it's it's that much more complex. So like when I when I sit down to write pea green boat, there's no chance it's going to turn into one of my personal songs. It's always going to be, you know, I'll start out instead of like starting with an acoustic guitar playing chords, I'll start out like playing a synthesizer or something a little bit more. Um, uh, triggering for ideas for like a composition rather than just a song so I suppose yeah. that might explain it well I just remembered as well halfway through asking that I was just like, oh yeah Joe has to write his bit as well didn't he yeah exactly so I, I have to write something that's purely instrumental to then give to Joe with gaps for lyrics which is it's a really difficult thing to do actually yeah we should have uh, Joe on and like have a big proper talk about when you release your next album like uh big proper talk about like your writing process for that uh which would be cool i know you've done there has been an episode with joe and roger before which is somewhere down in the list of weekly songs uh uh podcast episodes do check that out but it'd be nice to have him on again yeah i i'd love to have joe on um joe's a really good guy and, uh, uh great writer too but yes grim very good buy it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean you know in all seriousness i i would love it if people bought Grimm or listened to Grimm and let me know what they think of Grimm as well because you know it's um especially people who listen to the podcast and you know like our stuff you know these are my songs that I wrote on the podcast you know I think if um you've never listened to any of Roger's music before this is kind of like the most similar to the podcast yeah I'd say that's true because the other stuff tends to have like extra instruments and electric guitars and fantastic drums and like you know, full-on studio production. This does as well, but it's more, like, centred around the acoustic elements, so... Yeah, like, it's, the voice... It's a, nice, it's a nice gateway into your music, is what I'm saying. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, like, very focused on guitar and, and vocal. But, um, yeah, um, let me know what you think of it. If you hear it, let me know what you think of it. I really would uh, like to know. Yeah. So, I think that's basically it, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Just, a, you know, casual chat about the old new album. Yeah. Cool. That's, right. See you next time for a full episode. See you next episode. Bye, it's a wrap.